0: involved with these stories, at least not most of the time. Enjoy the show.
1: This this, this show is brought to you by Safety FM.
0: Hi, this is Jim from Safety Wars. Welcome to the program. We have a real treat for you tonight. We have Gavin Coyle, who I interviewed uh, several weeks ago is a new book workplace safety on a budget how to stop and prevent accidents and injuries without sacrificing the bottom line uh he was on the program we interviewed him for about 45 minutes roughly uh we're basically this is the uh interview in total we did very little editing here so his website is gavin g-a-v-i-n dash coil c-o-y-l-e dot com Uh, uh, please give us a little bit of leeway here he was uh, in Ireland at the time uh, which is his home and uh, there's a little bit of a delay sometimes in the conversation here but I tell you what we learned a lot here and I think you will learn a lot so uh, looking forward to uh, getting some feedback here I hope to have Gavin on again that's gavin-coil.com The book is Workplace Safety on a Budget by Gavin Coyle. So uh, we will see you back again next week. So how did you get into the safety business, Gavin?
1: So when I I left school at the age of 17, um, at the time, there was a massive influx of um, multinational American companies. That were getting a foothold into the European market and obviously Ireland was the first land base that they hit so we had the likes of Apple uh-huh. Warner Lambert which is now Pfizer's Glaxosmithkline, Beecham. uh you know the list is endless Hewlett-Packard Compaq Intel and they were building like large hyperscale projects so a couple of thousand people on the projects and they were bringing with them their models uh and of course they brought with them their safety model and one of their safety models was that you had to have full-time safety people in each company that was operating on the project and that was a new thing in Ireland at the time really we, yeah we didn't do we didn't do that it was like um,
0: well I know, in know. The, uh, it sounds like you're like the mid 90s you're talking about or yeah what?
1: early 90s uh, yeah early early nineties. I was like 92 1990 like we had our, our legislation at that time was 1989 and before that was back in the 50s 60s it was a factory act Right. so it's obviously been updated since but um the requirement for the full-time safety officer was not in law yeah, in
0: i know it was a huge influx of american companies over there yes the legislation there was because if and even if you recall uh uh the uh tour de france was even held and one stage was held in ireland
1: that's right yeah uh, i remember that yeah, 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 that's very true, yeah, yeah, that's, that's good call, um, Jim, but um, I suppose the company that I was working for was doing drywall, but they were also doing um, clean room fit so wow. they were, they were right at the, the core edge of um, all this work, because obviously, Intel obviously had massive clean rooms to be built, It was all these pharmaceuticals that had clean rooms to be built, so the, the kind of, the, the drywall mentality or the carpenter mentality kind of fits into that whole, Uh, clean room sort of uh, building walls and and ceilings and stuff like that, it just happens to be uh, metal rather than wood, Uh, so they were at the forefront, Mike, the company I was working for, and um, so the guys just basically pointed a finger at me and said, look, you're going to do safety because we don't have time, and we don't fully understand what they're actually looking for here, but you know, you just go in and do it, so we did the first safety meeting and kind of fell in love with it, and said, look, here, the concept of making people safe and assessing and risk, you know, really sort of, I, I kind of had a, um, a gra for it if you like. And so the company then started using me to go out and look at, look after all of their projects. They might've had 15 projects, 20 projects. And I would just go around to all the projects in Europe and I would report on them and train staff and train managers and train them on the manuals. And so trying to update the manuals as well.
0: So how was the, uh, how is was the response that you received? I know in this country, uh, the big uh, safety legislation that came out was with the Occupational Safety and Health Act in 1970. And then mm-hmm. what happened? What happened was wasn't until really, uh, Whopper hit, which is was Hazardous Waste Site Operations and Emergency Response. At least yeah. in the country, in the Metro New York City. Uh, and that's when safety really became a big thing. Yeah. that law came out it was all these hazardous waste sites in the new york and new jersey region and then all of a sudden that's when it seemed to be uh getting more and more popular and i know there was a lot of resistance huge amounts of resistance in the early 90s and specifically through uh the what we call the right to know acts with you know safety data sheets or material safety data sheets and was that a similar your similar experience in your area not. not
1: entirely, no. Um I wouldn't say that the I wouldn't say I wouldn't it's 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 difficult to use the word ignorance because we're not ignorant, but um there was enough money on the table for everybody to make money to keep them out to keep you to keep the mouths shut and just get on with it. If this is something you have to do to get on these high profile jobs you'll do whatever you have to do because it's going to feed your family it's going to pay your mortgage you're going to get nice holidays you're going to have a great lifestyle so what are you complaining about and we're trying to make you safe so it was a kind of uh oh my god what's all these presentations for and then there was companies like jmj coming across from the us you know producing this manual on incident injury free and the concept of you know every incident and accident is avoidable, which is another podcast for another day which i don't you know i could tear apart and tear asunder today but at the time you know you were thinking that these guys knew more than you and you and you know had this wide understanding that this is how it's done but like when you look back at it now it's just a marketing tool by them to sell into these companies to produce these type of data that actually didn't really mean much because people were just filling out safety observation cards for the sake of filling them out and then it was all about how many could you fill out in a
0: day in a week and why aren't you filling out more <laughs> and then, and then there's kind of stuff. and then you're then they're <laughs> getting a 93 compliance rate but there's are accidents and then when a, yeah. when a party goes out there there's a whole bunch of stuff that was never yeah
1: done. or then, then and we've seen it and well, i'd seen it at the time you know, oh, we've a million hours done, and great pat in the back. We a barbecue ordered. Next thing, one of our guys got injured, and everybody was told to keep their mouth shut because, you know, you can't have banner with a million hours and have the barbecue and everything's ordered, and yet your guys in an ambulance. So we look, we, we don't need to say anything to anybody about that.
0: One of know? our uh, one of my colleagues was on a major project uh, that you've heard of, or that pretty much everyone's heard of, and they were setting up for the safety lunch to celebrate a million safe hours. And yeah. an hour before the lunch, they had a fatality.
1: Oh my God.
0: Yeah. Guy oh my God. And it was, fell from like 34, uh, 30, yeah, it was about 30 floors. Uh, wow. And it was just a nightmare. Oh my God. And you know, Sorry um, to hear that. Yeah. yeah it's horrible, horrible, horrible. But uh, All, uh, the, all uh, the stories uh, I set share are absolutely a hundred percent true, but I just have to change details.
1: I know, yeah, well,
0: um... and it's, I had a conversation with someone yesterday on the project I'm working on uh, where it was the same deal with, uh, was exactly the same deal where uh, they, uh, uh, they said, well, I like to have the zero accidents, zero illnesses, and zero illnesses sign or, no, you know, so many hours work out. I said, totally, I, I banned them from the, any, any, yeah. opportunity I have to ban them, I banned them. We're not. We're not tracking hours. We're not. Yeah. Enough. So we all started in the behavior-based safety world because that's what it was at that time. Yeah. Uh, what it really the, the, I, the
1: aviation? The, I, I, I see the aviation industry as the real sort of go-to industry that kind of promoted safety and had that culture of, you know, um, open, transparent uh, discussion between the the two guys in the cockpit. You know, that's you know, you're there to. Uh, if you if there's an issue, you, you, you address it and there's no fault or blame put on people. And, and I love that whole concept within the aviation industry. And, and it just it's disappointing to me that we didn't have the same sort of. I know there is companies that are trying to make that culture shift where there's an open door policy and you just put up your hands and there's no, you know, there's no recourse for you actually making a mistake because we make mistakes. But I think that's a podcast in itself to discuss you yeah, know so, so people you
0: transition what was the big thing that made your transition with me from the behavior based safety world into hop human and organizational performance for the listeners where your listeners should know that after 251 episodes here uh they uh uh mine was with the pandemic where uh I I was getting away from behavior based safety because I knew it was a bunch of uh baloney right as we call it here and uh so i ran to jay allen with all the safety podcasts during the pandemic we're on lockdown and the only safety jobs that were out there available opportunities were pandemic related so what we i ended up listening to jay allen and then todd conklin and all of that stuff then i made the transition into this over the last three and a half years roughly
1: fantastic
0: Yeah. What was your? Was there a, a thing where? You yeah, there
1: was. The, so, so, so I, I had a personal and a professional uh, um, trauma. I feel like so. One of the jobs that I was managing from the safety perspective, I would have been auditing that particular uh, hotel. It was a Four Seasons hotel, mm-hmm. um, that was being built in Dublin at the time, and. Myself and the site manager had numerous conversations that we weren't happy with the health and safety of the main contractor or the principal contractor, and how they were performing safety on the job. So I was going to meetings that were pretty raw every week, kind of like saying, "Look, this is this is not this is not on." Like there was water coming down through the building, there was nails everywhere, there was the crane had dropped a couple of loads uh, from height, and that luckily they didn't kill anybody. And uh, they actually banned me from the meeting uh, because they said it was disruptive. Now I was young, I wasn't cocky, but I was young and I probably thought like, you know, blah, blah, blah. So one day I was in the cabin, I got a bang on the cabin door, man down, man down. So we did to the uh, site and one of our young guys had fallen headfirst into a hole and was um, basically um, kicking out for his life, trying to survive. And uh, we got him out of the hole. I went into the ambulance with him and it was pure carnage. And then we got to... A&E and uh, a day later he died uh, of his injuries. So that happened first and then within 24 months, my brother drowned along with two other people, uh, two other young guys. They were just throwing a football to each other in waist height height in the Atlantic Ocean beside the beach and a freak wave came in and took them out to sea and uh, that all happened within a 24 hour or 24 month period kind of. And uh, so kind of, gave me perspective, am I really in this safety game? And do I have to stomach for it? And at the time there's no counseling or whatever that's, even when you think back at it now, like this, like traveling and seeing that young lad trying to fight for his life. And then, you know, uh, having to go through the whole uh, process of the, well, are we going to get prosecuted? We didn't. And that's a whole nother rigmarole, but it gave me a good, uh, gave me, i got a great life learn, learning um, from it. Unfortunately, I, do, I could have done without it, but, It has stuck to me in terms of, you know, I've realized the qualities in myself that are needed for safety, such as the number one being empathy, and how do you empathize with people? How do you see things from other people's perspective? And, you know, we don't know what people are carrying on a day to day basis from a personal point of view and you know we're not all at peak performance every day and we need to be aware of that and so when you're having conversations with people that you're you know you're talking about them the person first and then you talk the technicality issues or the competency issues in terms of how they're doing their job and approaching people like that rather than then coming in with the beaten stick and and that's you know we're all aware of the safety person that power trips and comes in and says you know you know banging the drum but most cases those people are actually not fully confident in their own ability and that's why they sort of lash out and use this sort of, um you know, uh, uh interrogating approach towards health and safety. I like. call it the
0: tribunal. Draconian. And the tribunal approach.
1: The tribunal approach, yeah, I like that one. Yeah, yeah okay. <laughs> use that one, yeah. And, yeah. and look, I don't want to give safety people a bad uh, rap either because, you know, um I've got a great career out of it. A lot of people have got a great career out of it and there's really some fantastic people in safety. Um, they need to be applauded and they don't get enough credit for the amount of work and time and effort and also a lot of of people uh, don't really acknowledge the amount of pressure and stress that are put on safety people from a personal point of view to see these types of events and to come home and go you know did i plan that job properly with the site manager like am i 100 percent sure that everything is done according to whatever i remember coming off jobs and you know you're actually dreaming about the job going to bed because It had got ingrained in your head so much um, that you were trying to solve issues on site. And a lot of people don't take that into consideration, I don't think.
0: Well, I think uh, the industry itself does. No, I don't like to blame people, but the industry itself is to blame, at least in this country, because we're not given a lot of direction. Who's this typical safety person uh, on a construction site or a maritime environment? That's somebody who was probably in the field uh, doing things and then either retired or got hurt themselves a lot of times or just got, you know, yeah, went to safety, something different. And they really have the skills necessary, people skills, the soft skills necessary to do the job.
1: Yeah, 100%. 100%. uh, one
0: One of the things that we try to do here, especially towards the beginning of the programs so that we looking back at uh, when we first started was and I find myself doing this is how do we tra- coach the actual safety person? Yeah. How do we coach the actual safety person? So one of our programs is to go and I'm mentioning this for a reason. One of our programs is these are the types of pushback you're likely going to see as a safety professional. Mm, I want uh, Saul Alinsky's—you may or not may or may not be familiar with the author—Saul Alinsky's Rules for Radicals, uh, which was on uh, community organizing, and okay. in response to a series of riots in 1968, that said, look, rather than have a riot, why don't we go into community organizing and we use these strategies to, uh, you know, to get social change. Uh, and what I ended up doing was taking those strategies and saying, look, if you're a safety professional, these are probably what you're going to get. You're not going to get all of them. You're gonna yeah. get them. I can't give you solutions. I can tell yeah. you what problems you have. And then you have got to try to come up with your own solutions. And one of the things that we always hear, right, that we get back, and as a segue into what you're as safety too expensive.
1: Yeah,
0: right. And with your, no, I'm looking on your website now, gavin-coil.com, right? Yeah. And I'm seeing here, right, uh, all this stuff, safety first for business growth, uh, protecting people while driving profitability, an invaluable asset, safety as a profit center, uh, and everything else. I mean, that's, I know this to be true, and this is not a shit. If you have a safe company, right, and you're set up procedures and know how you define safety, which is as controls and billions and things of that nature versus persons, the absence of accidents. Safety pays for itself.
1: Well, that's what we we wrote. I wrote the book on workplace safety on the budget. Yeah, it's on Amazon. And basically that is my experiences of all the hacks that a company can use to reduce the cost of safety, but increase the standard of safety. So there's some companies are spending too much on safety and not in the right areas. And then there's some people that won't spend money on safety, because they don't know what they're getting furnished, maybe in some cases, they're trying to call back because they're losing money on other areas. Safety can be done really efficiently and really well, if it is put in the right context. And the context that we're talking about is you know there's loads of different areas where you can save money on your business through safety but then what we're asking is that that money is repurposed back into areas that are making the best impact for your company for quality for production and for safety and so we're only asking what we're asking is rather than you know uh, coming in with the compliance hat on us yes we'll do the compliance bit but we want safety people to go back in to put their commercial hat on and say to the board of directors or the managing director, I think we can save ourselves up to 50% on the cost of what we're spending on safety. But I want you to repurpose that money into better equipment. I want you to pay better people, better better salaries, so that we get the best of people working for our company. You know, I want, you know, better gloves, because whatever, they're, the other ones are, like. there's loads of different tools and techniques in the book that describes how right. that can be done and
0: that's what the needs of the company are. But the thing is you need to go from, you know, I've, I've listened to your other podcasts and everything out there. Yeah. You, know, you have to involve the worker in this. Yeah. Yeah. But what's yeah. Going to make your job easier.
1: Go and talk to them. They'll tell you the, the, the guys, the guys will give it to you straight. You know what I mean? This, this, this tool doesn't work. This tool doesn't work for this job. Why are we not manufacturing this offsite? and having it done and I just, all I, all I have to do then is just screw it to the wall or something like that. Why am I spending half the day having to put this together on you know, it's not cost, it's costing the company times. I'm better. I'm better than this and I can do better work than this. You know, this is stuff that could be done off site and people are not challenging enough in there. From my experience in all the different aspects of business. we talk about the business of safety and that's the program that we're, we're developing at the moment is what is the business of safety the business of safety is to say to yourselves let's start calling the safety department another profit center and that's the only way that employers are actually going to stand up and listen and that we're going to get a seat at the table of the boardroom table where the decisions are made to discuss safety because as we all know the first discussion which is about safety and fairness to the board They'll talk about any accidents, any incidents, man hours maybe, and what's the budget on safety, and that's it. Then they're moving on to how are we going to get new business, you know, how are we going to scale the company, and all this kind of stuff. And you know, we want someone that has the safety voice at the boardroom table because there is a ceiling where safety people get so far and they don't get into that conversation at the boardroom level enough or at all in most in most industries, and that's. That's what's keeping safety down, in, in in my opinion.
0: No, no, your opinion is... I'm about 99% in agreement with your opinion on here. I think... So, for example, my background, all right? Yeah. I know my, my, just to get you an idea where I'm coming from. My background was very blue-collar. Uh, my uh, mother was a Polish immigrant. My father was a first-generation uh, American here. And... We had a different model of leadership when I was growing up, where it was very prescriptive, right? And as we know, the way I, I teach it at least, leadership is influence. You need some yeah. soft, soft skills. Uh, An author here, I will mention his name He's a, con- a little bit controversial for some people, right? He, uh, was, he had a similar background of, as mine. Parents were immigrants and everything else. And it was a different way of growing up and where you worry about everything. And what happened was he went to went away uh, to Brown University and then he graduated that undergraduate. Then he went to uh, graduate school at Harvard. Now, for your international listeners, Brown is like a middle-class, what we would call a middle-class university. You're a middle-class in person. You're probably going to and that's a good university but you're probably going to go to brown harvard is the elite right the elite you know, yeah. right. and yes. he said the difference is is that the people in that harvard or yale environment and there are a number of other what we call ivy league universities in this country they don't think like you or i they don't think the same way nothing bothers them mm. they work on problems they work on solutions Nothing bothers them for a lot of reasons. One, cultural differences. They have a so, so, uh, safety net. Uh, yeah. these things, But nothing bothers them. And if you yeah. can get to that point, yeah. nothing bothers you. And you're working on the problems and you're doing it professionally. You're going yeah. to be able to do what you say, Gavin. Go into yeah. that C-suite. And I'm building on what he said. You're able to go into that C-suite. Yeah right CEO CFO all those and you're able to communicate what you're saying
1: that's the only language they understand we, look at the end of the day let's call a spade a spade let's keep health and safety simple Um there's too many times health and safety is brought to the table and it's become confusing and then people get demotivated because you know it's not fully clear are we doing it this way or are we doing it that way let's be very simple let's be let's have our systems built around our your actual business, and don't be buying in generic systems that are not tailored towards your business. You know, a system and a culture needs to reflect the people that are in it.
0: I and think. The, I think the viewpoint, in a lot of times, is that you have engineers and architects, uh, and, and construction managers. So, let's say an engineer sees a problem, they fix the problem, and the problem is fixed. They don't ever have to deal with it. it yeah, different. You're dealing with people. You're not dealing with machines. Yeah. People are people. you got, you can fix the problem, but it's going to be an ongoing problem. Another issue will happen. Well, another issue will happen because you're dealing with a person. Things change every day. Yeah. Bad day. You have to be able to read the person, read the situation.
1: Yeah. it's not it's not a a cold um, solution it's not a cold it's not a cold solution yeah not saying that engineers are cold because I will tell you a lot of uh, brilliant safety people came through air doors that were engineers first and then they switched over to safety and they they the logic behind them where they track everything back to a root cause and then you know it's more methodical the way they actually fix and understand root cause right the way through to where the problem was rather than some safety people that just come out of college. And this is a problem that we've seen in air market, especially in Europe, where safety is too broad a topic.
0: Right.
1: And people don't get, you know, people come out of safety, uh, safety courses with diplomas or masters like myself, or whatever, and really they're starting from scratch because they don't know the industry that they're going into and, you know, this is a big problem that we see is that uh, there isn't safety people that have a specific focus so you know, we'd like to see more of two things, you know, people that are in trades or in going into engineering, that there's a year of safety within that program, but also for the safety people, we'd like to see them focusing more on an industry for safety rather than yes. being qualified in safety. That's another discussion for the uh, academics. That, another that day.
0: Three or four hour discussion there. <laughs> I know uh, <laughs> what I try, was trying to look for, uh, like for my employees, uh, My longest-term employee is Bob Shackleton, he's a great guy. By the way, his uh, uncle was the other Shackleton that went down to the South Pole. uh, Very good. Anyway, uh, like with him, he uh, has an architectural background and construction background. He never did did architecture, he did a lot of construction. So, Mm. he knows how to build things. So, on a construction site, he was perfect with okay this is how we build things we understand some engineering and architectural things and everything else and that's what i try to match up is experience what their real life experience is yeah i had a corporate job uh uh, before i left uh, uh the corporate world and started what i'm doing here where they made a very bad hire in my opinion at least where they had hired a safety professional who had never had a job outside of safety he, I said, well, uh, during the interview process, it was like, well, did you flip burgers when, like in college, you flip burgers at uh, McDonald's or where, you know, uh, no, whatever. No, I never had a job. And then they put him into the safety field. Yeah. Just a nightmare. And it got so bad that uh, I was at a facility and that he was working at. And somebody stopped me in the cafeteria and said, Jimmy, do you have... Uh, an hour to sit over and we want to have a meeting with you and I said okay and I thought it was a new business meeting they, and I knew every we were all friends we, you know yeah. So I, yeah I come into the office and there's a long table with about 20 people on it I'm like man what did I do wrong here did I say something wrong did I do something wrong what's going you know you're I'm in a little bit of a panic right yeah So no, grab a seat grab a cup of coffee whatever you want what we want to talk today so well, what's the issue here and I said, well, we're having an issue with this one person Yeah, with all the safety requirements. I said, well, you do realize he has no experience outside of safety. Yeah. They said, really? And I said, yeah, that's what the issue is here.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah.
0: Not that I talk behind people's back. I don't make that as a policy. I said, but yeah. you have to approach him with that mentality that he's not sure. So maybe you have to spoon feed him a little bit on what you're doing and let him know what you're doing. That way you get everybody on the same page. And yeah. rather
1: than an adversary, now you're a colleague. What's yeah, the, like you, uh, we love to see the organic process of uh, a tradesman in the business, uh, or a tradeswoman, and they decide then to go into safety. And yeah. uh, that organic ecosystem of bringing people through your own company, and then if they've got a grow for safety, yeah, pull them through and let them, all right, you might be losing a really good person off the tools or whatever else, but like, what you're going to get in terms of if they have to, if they show a flair and a passion for safety, there's nobody that will come out of college or any other industry that's a better person than the person that has grown through your own company and understands the language of your company. You know? Right,
0: right, absolutely. Uh, so your book, what's the name of it again? Can you hold Work,
1: up So it's a uh, Workplace Safety on a Budget. On a Budget,
0: on Amazon on Amazon uh, yeah Amazon it? it's free
1: the Kindle version is free believe it or not Um Brilliant. some great reviews um, there's a guy who um, advises Toyota cars on lean principles and right. he gave it a glowing review because obviously he's saying it's refreshing to see that somebody's challenging uh, the lean aspect of safety and you know because nobody wants to talk about reducing cost and safety in the same sentence and um, because you're you're seem to be like going where you go, you're cutting costs. That means you're cutting on safety. That's not the case. You know what we want to do is we want people. To, we want one class system. There isn't no, so there's no class system on safety. It's not a privilege to have safety. Anybody can do safety. Anybody can get the best sa- standard of safety. And the book is trying to basically, you know, it doesn't try, but it it it, it outlines clear case studies. Like we saved one company over a million euro. Uh, uh, within their business, just using the business of safety model uh, whereby they had guys in holes doing work in chambers, where in fact these guys were originally employed to do overhead power line work, so they went from the top down to the bottom, and when I spoke to the individuals they were like, yeah, like uh, the company won this massive government contract, we all got paid more money, we got assurances that we've got, you know, longevity of work, so we kept our mouth shut and just got on with it. But he said, you know, well, I was employed to be a linesman. I was never employed to be in this hole doing this work. And I said, actually, to be honest with you, it's easy work. It's not competent. It's kind of like, you know, mundane, if anything. Um, but I'm not doing what I should have been doing. So we sat down with the management and we said, look, you have all the information here. You have all the data. You've got all, all the hours. You've got all the costs. You've got all the material costs. You've got the labor costs. You know exactly how this job is done go to market, there is really good companies out there that would specifically do that. And they didn't want to go to market back in the time because before we were there, because they didn't want to, uh, you know, let other people in on their relationship with their, with their contract. There was that sort of, but like you have to get that logic away from you. If you're good enough to do the job and you're good enough to win these contracts, you should have the, the confidence. And this is like a $50 million turnover business. Right. And so we introduced them to a small contractor who only had probably about 20 people working for them. And we said, look, they, those guys, that's all, that's all they do. That is, they, they only do that particular work and that's all they do. So I said, I'm not suggesting that you go with them, but there's an example. So they went out to Tender, three companies were, uh, uh within the ballpark and it happened to be that particular company, but that company went from two, 20 people to over 200 people because they won this contract, right. you know, very thankful, very grateful, very focused and had all the right people in the right systems. And so the bigger company were able to pull all their own guys out of the hole, put them back to what they were supposed to be doing, win more work on the core business of what they're actually good at and then increase obviously their business profit and uh, expanding, you know, reputation
0: expanding your You're expanding your people. It's like they're acting as a general contractor, or what we would call it over here. You're expanding the number of people in your organization and you're going to be more profitable.
1: Yeah. So that was a safety aspect that brought profitability to the business. And so the, so now there's your profit center. So don't no nobody can challenge me and say that a safety department can't be a profit center.
0: Oh, uh, I had a similar experience, uh, a couple of years back where uh, they wanted to hire a, uh, less qualified safety professional for a project. And the person non-credentialed, they were looking at upfront dollar costs. They were paying, uh, him, uh, you know, bare minimum, basically the bare minimum. You could get away with They, they thought what I, it's what I call a donuts and coffee safety professional, right? Yeah, right. yeah. So they, they wanted us, you know, send the office. And drink coffee and eat donuts,
1: yeah, yeah. Not I don't both. know what
0: your equivalent is over in uh, on your stuff <laughs> in your country, but
1: yeah, no, um, no, a, a loose safety officer, yeah, yeah, but like I, I, again, don't want to give safety people a bad rap because, oh, um,
0: that's what they wanted. I'm not saying that that's what they needed, yeah. I was able to sell them on getting, so you get somebody, uh, you have to get somebody qualified to do the jobs you can make decisions. Yeah. Because then you don't have to involve anybody else. And there's yeah. not slowing down the job. The work yeah. will be planned out correctly. You don't yeah. have to worry about the oversight people. From, this was a, a state job. You don't have to worry about the oversight people coming in, stopping yeah. the work. And there is a, I mean, all you got to do is save on three or four accidents, and you're already two weeks ahead of the game on your, your 100%. schedule. 100%.
1: Yeah, like, so, uh, uh,
0: uh, you're going to make And What it ended up happening was, uh, they went with us, and we were able to save them such uh, headaches. money and headaches, yeah. and uh, what ended up happening was, uh, it was that job, and there was another job we did that on, I teamed up with another company, and they finished the job seven months ahead of time, by the end of it, because there were no incidents, no yeah. incidents, and we were able to plan out the work, and make, have people make... And get it going, yeah. Make this...
1: There's the, like again, time. Like, look at the money that you've saved on time. Because, how many times have you seen a safety person not understand the business and sort of going into the wrong areas of the business, looking and doing audits and not really understanding exactly what they're looking at? And they're actually a distraction to the business. And then people get demotivated because you're like, your man, this guy hasn't a clue, or this girl hasn't a clue, or whatever, having a clue, and they're stopping me from working, I'm, which they are and you know it's costing the business money and that's where safety might get a bad rap sometimes but that's not the safety person's fault that's oh, the leadership
0: no, 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 that's leader 100 the leadership uh i know one of my clients had a uh were, were deposed they're involved in a lawsuit and uh, she had come back to the office uh you uh, know we were out on a project and she came to a project office because she she was psychologically damaged from the whole experience. yeah and uh my mentor and her mentor are the same person right a uh, phenomenal guy uh, Norman <laughs> uh he's a retired uh, phd in safety and he uh and i said look normwood is going to tell you the same thing i'm going to tell you do you have the authority to hire fire discipline plan out the work or anything else yeah no i said well, then, how is this accident? How is this accident your quote unquote fault? I'm not saying the company is not liable, but how is that your personal fault on that? I mean, your personal failing when you don't have the resources to do the job and your employer will not give you the resources to do the job. Whether the resources, professional development, actual authority, stop work authority, the, whatever it is. And she thought of that as a don't answer, think about it for about a minute or two. Yeah. So you know, you're absolutely right. I don't know. Has that been your experience with
1: that? Yeah. Um, like uh, as you're talking there as well, uh, there's other there's other things that like just, we could talk here all day. Uh,
0: I know like, you're uh, on. I'm on No, no,
1: no. But uh, no, no, it's not that at all. Like you know, it, it, it like when you start talking about the things that we're talking about now, it, it actually doesn't. It, it kind of. It, sometimes it kind of gets to you. Kind of saying to yourself, like, it's so obvious some of the fixes that we, that people can do and companies can do. But yet, uh, you know, there's, this, there's a kind of, a, a sort of a mentality just to leave it as leave it alone, leave it as it is. And, uh, you know, don't touch it because at the end of the day, uh, we're, we have safety in the budget and we have a person that's allocated to the job and that's it. And so we don't need to meddle with safety anymore because, you know, we have the safety person and that's that, that person's looking after all that.
0: Right. And so one else has any responsibility on it? No, just the same. That's
1: it. That's it. And so this is where the, this is where the, so we need to get to the hearts and minds of leaders as safety professionals. We owe it to the safety profession. I believe across the globe to get together and start, you know, working with the leaders to sort of bring in new vision of safety or a new generation of safety, whereby, you know, we're at, we're providing more value to the bottom line and we can show that, but we're also making, uh, you know, the day-to-day stuff fit into the company so that there's a compliance element, but there's also a commercial element where safety is, is, is a commercially viable department within the business. Um, you know, give you an example, for example, you know, I I don't see enough of collaboration going on within the industry. So let's take construction, for example. So how would what would that look like? How would how would how would we make a a sort of a a business case for a project to sort of have this mantra of creating profit centers? Why doesn't all these contractors get together if they're building a housing development in outside New York City or whatever else before the job starts? Why don't everybody get together, have a workshop? you know, what do they want to achieve out of the job from all the different angles and then say to each other, okay, where do we all buy our equipment? Can we get all our data together in terms of where we're all buying PPE and safety equipment and all this kind of stuff. And let's just look at that data as a group, electrical plumbers, carpenters, the whole lot. And let's, you know, go to one supplier or to three or four suppliers, get prices from them and say, look, here's the bulk of what we buy on a monthly basis. We'll only buy for you from this project. If you're able to drop your rates by X, Y, and Z, but you see, there's not, there isn't collaboration. Right. Contractors so, are not collaborating.
0: So uh, often, what uh, happens? You no, know, I've seen a little bit of that over the years. With yes. specifically with PPE, where they have an approved PPE list for a project. Yeah. Look, this is the and everybody gets together. This is the approved PPE list, and we're buying it from X, Y, and Z company. Yeah. Right, sort of thing. I've seen that a little bit and I've always thought that's a phenomenal idea that it's, we all should be doing. Do it
1: for training, do it for, you know, consultancy fees or bringing in auditors that they want that and if an auditor is coming in to do an audit on the electrical company, why isn't he doing an audit on the whole site and therefore you're getting more bang for your book? You know, there's, there's loads of things. I, th- I think we need, to, uh, there's two things going on here. There's the leadership model that has to be addressed. And then there's the community model that has, to be, and you mentioned community earlier on. Uh, that's a spark to me it was just straight away. Yeah, we need to have more of a community-driven safety focus on the ground so that there's more of a collaboration together with companies. Yes, they're fighting for the same jobs. And yes, they, you know, uh, they have their own processes and systems in place, but there's no reason why you can't go in and do a model and say this particular project is going to be an eco-friendly project from a safety perspective because we're not going to have loads of different suppliers coming to the, to the, to the job. We're going to have one supplier come to the job and he's going to have PP for everybody.
0: Right. So I, I think we're going to conclude it right there, but I want to talk to you about something else outside the podcast. No problem. So where can someone find you? So
1: Gavin, yes, gavin-coil.com and the site is being rebuilt at the moment. So we're going to have free downloads of, uh, templates, forms, procedures. We're going to have free courses that we've developed ourselves. We're also having budget courses, budget safety courses that you can, you can go and get access to obviously the book. There's a link to the book and then there's the business of safety program, which we're building at the moment. So probably in a bit next month, the new website will be live. Um, you'll know, get me on LinkedIn Twitter Instagram Facebook
0: absolutely that's uh, how you found us so uh, that is Gavin Coyle Gavin this has been great I hope to have you on again in the very near future and uh, I, I thought, thought this was I actually learned something here today that uh, with this absolutely which is what I'm always uh, trying to do so uh, for safety wars this is Jim Posel and uh, We'll catch you on our our next program.